Caution. The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. And on today's episode, we travel once again back to the Baroque era to learn about Georges-Philippe Telemann, who is a contemporary of J.S. Bach. We'll also be delving into his piece Intrata Suite for Two Violins, which is a new genre to our podcast. We'll tell, Amman, you all about that after we look into his personal history. George Philipp Telemann was born in 1681 in Magdeburg, Germany, to a family that was tied very tightly to the Lutheran Church, with his fathers and brothers all being clergymen. As a young boy, he showed considerable musical talent, but that was much to the chagrin of the rest of his family, who actually disliked music and thought that it was an unfit profession for him to pursue. Due to pressure from his family, Telemann's first career path actually led him to get a law degree in Leipzig. During his college years, he actually met Handel, who helped him renew his musical interests. And despite his family's wishes, he continued to dabble in music, and having made a name for himself on the local scene in Leipzig, Germany, was actually given the post of director for the Leipzig Opera in 1702. And this was a great break for his rebellious career, because not only was he able to direct the company, but he also wrote numerous operas for them to perform, really getting his composing name out there. After leaving this post, Telemann traveled all around Germany and served in various capacities in different musical groups, from Kapellmeister to court musician to church cantor and back to Kapellmeister. All throughout his travels, he made a good many musician friends. He maintained his earlier ties with Handel, and he also became good enough friends with J.S. Bach that J.S.'s son, Carl Philippe Emanuel Bach, was Telemann's godson. These many and varied posts allowed him to really flex his composing muscles. He was not tied down by any one particular genre, and so he produced a large and varied musical output. Many sources argue that this composing output is one of the largest of any classical composer, and although some of his works have been lost to time, a great deal of it is still available. The fact that he actually published a number of works rather than just writing them for a specific group and not doing much else could be a reason why. And we have Telemann himself to thank for this. He didn't rely on a publishing house to do the work for him, rather he was actually a pioneer of self-publishing, and this allowed him the flexibility to sell his works when and wherever he wanted. It's kind of interesting that now in recent years we've actually been hearing more and more about authors self-publishing books in order to also avoid the publishing house hassle, so maybe Telemann was on to something. You know what they say, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. He actually made a considerable amount of money from self-publishing. He was a very determined individual, always seeking the most opportune post. However, he was also jovial and kind, not throwing his success in the faces of others. And a genre that Telemann is now particularly known for is his tafel music, or table music, which is a type of chamber music meant to be played by any set of instruments or voices. It's a holdover from the Renaissance times, but it also served the purpose to get all classes of people hearing and appreciated Telemann's music. 
After many successful years conducting, composing, and teaching all around Germany, Telemann took a step back. He spent some time focusing on music theory, and he wrote only a few oratorios near the end of his life. Telemann died in Hamburg in 1767, having outlived Bach. By this time, his reputation and fame exceeded Bach, but as we've mentioned before, Bach got his revival in the 1800s due to Felix Mendelssohn's efforts, while the great extent of Telemann's works were not rediscovered and fully appreciated until the early 1900s. So let's talk about Telemann's Entrada Suite for two violins. This is a fun little violin duet that was written in 1728. It actually has a subtitle, The Gulliver Suite, because it's based on Jonathan Swift's book, Gulliver's Travels, published in 1726. And we'll take note here that this book is actually quite satirical. Luckily, Telemann also had a sense of humor, and he infused the satire of the story into his music composition as well, as we'll see. Before we dive into the music, though, let's talk a little about the genre. This is a suite, meaning it's made up of a collection of dance movements. The suite as a musical form started in the Renaissance and really took off in France. During the Baroque era, cosmopolitan music centers all over Europe picked up the trend, which is how Telemann became acquainted with it. Then, with his endless compositional output, he perfected the genre. And it was people like him who really forced the sweet genre down people's throats that paved the way for people like Bach, who had less of a hold on the public, to also become very accomplished sweet composers. Also notable in the title is that this is an intrada suite, and while it's unusual that this is specified in the title, there's really not much of a difference between this and other suites that you may know or have heard of. An intrada is simply an introduction and is specifically for a suite of music, so for example you won't really see an intrada listed as an opening movement for a sonata or concerto, but you could, depending on the composer's wishes. So it's a bit different than just a normal overture or introduction because it carries a meaning that is more like a processional, and this is fitting for a dance suite that could theoretically be used as something like a ball, and so this music could serve as background music as people were filing into the ballroom in a procession. But for our purposes today, it's just the opening of the suite, or if we want to get programmatic about it, Gulliver setting off to begin his grand travels. Now to note, programmatic isn't quite the correct term to be used here because it's a romantic idea. These dance movements are more like caricatures of concepts rather than a definite story painted in music. So now let's talk about this silly, silly piece. As we mentioned, the entrada is the start of a grand voyage. It features dotted 8th, 16th note rhythms that are reminiscent of fanfares. <laughs> and also lots of running 16th notes that propel our hero forward on his journey. The next movement is the Lilliputian Chaconne, in this story, the Lilliputian people are very tiny and obsessed with details. This comes across in Telemann's work both in a musical and visual sense. The music is at a quick tempo, and in the first four bars, the two violins wait for each other to finish their musical statements. 
However, a brief fight breaks out when one violin tries to interrupt the other, and the music gets a little muddy for a moment. However, their squabble ends, and they find resolution. Delamin has also included a visual joke for the performers here. So the time signature is a ridiculous 332, which means there are three large downbeats per measure that emphasize the 32nd note as the major long note. So at the beginning of the movement, we have dotted 32nd note groupings, much like the dotted 8th 16th that we had in the entrada. This 32nd note thing all means that there are sometimes five flags on some of the notes, and think just a standard 8th note has one flag. So overall, this just gives a very silly look to the piece and makes the page look as frantic as the Lilliputians think their problems are. All of this is in contrast to the next movement, the Brobdingnagian Jig. The Brobdingnagians are a race of giants that Gulliver meets on his travels. Though this jig is still high-spirited, just like a jig should be, Telemann has again played a visual musical joke on the performers. This time, the time signature is 24-1, meaning that there are 24 beats per measure, with a whole note being the value beaten. The result is music that looks like it should sound very slow, and all the whole notes on the page make it look like giant's footsteps. Now this is also a musical joke for the audience, because as one might expect a giant's dance to sound lumbering and heavy, Telemann has instead written articulation and tempo that makes it just as light and jaunty as a normal human dance. We next come to a movement titled Reverie of the Laputans. In this part of the adventure, Gulliver is rescued by Laputa, a floating kingdom in the sky. This movement is erratic. It starts off with a gentle lilt like it will be a lullaby, but it suddenly rouses itself in a fit of 16th notes. And this gets even more extreme later in the piece as the wilting rhythm is forsaken for just straight eighth notes, and even rests are included to expand the sleepy time even more. The final movement is the lure of the Huonims and the fury of the Yahoo. In the story, the Huonims are wise and gentle horse people, while the yahoos are what appear to be just normal humans, though they act wild and untamed. Once again, Telemann has executed this characterization wonderfully. One violin plays a graceful and stately dance, while the other plays erratic 8th and 16th note messes in the background. In 
some duet compositions, a composer endeavors to make the parts equal by switching who plays what halfway through piece, essentially making the second part into the first part. And Telemann makes the good compositional choice here to not do that. So the poor player who is stuck being the Yahoo at the beginning of the piece actually stays being the Yahoo until the end, rather than switching to the horse people. This is true to how the book Gulliver's Travels actually ends. Gulliver himself is exiled by the Huonims because he looks like the Yahoos. Once Gulliver returns home, though, he realized everyone around him also looks like the Yahoos. So it turns out he and all the other humans were Yahoos all along. Oh no. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of our story of Telamon and Gulliver. Even though this piece was written in the Baroque era, which some people might regard as straight-laced and no fun, we hope that you can see just what fun Telemann actually had with this little diversion of a suite. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. If you enjoy what you've listened to, please consider following us on our Facebook page and leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play, and of course, sharing it with a friend who's similarly interested in classical music. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The Entrada Suite for Two Violins was performed by Lily Francis and Ani Kavafin. You can find The Coffee House on iTunes or Google Play. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and share your favorite episodes with your friends. You can email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.